Hello and welcome along, everybody. Um, I have started off the show today with a song from a man called Colin Purbrook, a song called Overture. And I am very excited to be here with a man named Michael Knipe, who is a um, uh, both a jazz musician and also a foreign correspondent uh, for the Times newspaper um, based out of London. Um, so uh, both both topics there are per, uh, personal favourites of mine. They're both things that I'm very interested in. Um, so yeah, welcome to the show, Michael. Oh, well, nice to talk to you. Great. So um, we're going to talk about both sides of your career today. Um, uh, how would you feel if we just started off talking about the jazz side of things? Yes, indeed. I started playing the drums in a, uh, when I was about 11 years old. And uh, very fortunately, when I was about 12 or 13, uh, and I was in the fourth form, I got to know the six formers, uh, who were older than me, of course, uh, and several of them were good musicians, and they said, would I play the drums with them? So I duly did. And one of them was a man called Colin, Pur or became a man called Colin Purbrook. And we formed a, a band together, and uh, he went on to be one of the top jazz pianist in, in Britain, and he won the Melody Maker Award for his piano playing, and played with all the top American musicians who came over. I didn't have quite such a good career, but I then became a journalist on the local Portsmouth Evening News, and eventually for the Times, the London Times, and um, I became a foreign correspondent with the paper. Fascinating. So, um, can we, with jazz at the time? Excuse my um, ignorance. Was there records, or was were people were people recording music at this stage? Yes, and there, and in, in the 1950s and the 1960s, there was before the Beatles, the there was a lot of jazz, traditional jazz, Dixieland jazz, which we inherited or borrowed from the Americans in New Orleans, and. Uh, I belong to a Fleet Street jazz band, uh, in addition to my newspaper work, and we played in pubs locally. And one of the musicians I played with was Ian Christie, who was one of the top clarinet players of the day, and he was also a film critic for the uh, Daily Express. So we played together for many years. Wow, so it was Fleet Street the style, or was that the name of the band? Name of the band. Okay. Fleet Street Jazz Band. And was Dixie, Dixie Jazz, was it influenced from the wartime, or was it just a sound that was happening at the time? It was from the wartime, and also it, there, was a, uh, there was a renewal of interest in the music of, of New Orleans in the 19... which had been the music of the 1920s. It was hot jazz, right. as opposed to the cool jazz of modern jazz. Yeah. People went back to... So to, how was it being in... You were in fifth form when you started playing with Colin Purbrook? Yeah. Was that quite racy? Was that quite... I mean, was it... Was it? I mean, it must have been pretty um, pretty uh, eccentric for the time. Yes, it was a bit. And uh, fortunately, he was a boarder at the school, so at weekends he'd come and stay with me, and uh, we would play in a, in a nightclub in Portsmouth. <laughs> right, and where was he from? He was from... Uh, Sussex, basically. Okay. Uh, but we were with. Um, a, there was a Portsmouth had a community of West Indians. Oh, right. That's and, what I was wondering. Yeah. Yes. And we we were playing at a wedding one occasion. We came across the bass player and guitarist, who were very very good, and we formed a, 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 a 
quartet, quartet. with them. Right. Yes. And played all over the South Coast, basically. And did you, ever, did you ever play at any clubs with Colin? Well, Colin was in that band. He was in that band. Yes. So, I mean, were you, you, were you played at clubs yes. back then? And yes. you must have been quite young to be playing inside of clubs as well? Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Getting away with it. It's <laughs> amazing. And yeah. um, so, continuing with your jazz, uh, you went on to form uh, this uh, quintet, is it? It was uh, a quartet. Quartet, quartet sorry. Yeah. Yep. And um, this was in, uh, this was up until what age did you say? Um, did you stay making jazz in the United in Portsmouth? Yeah, until I was about twenty, and then I moved to London. Okay, in the nineteen sixties. Was the jazz style changing at this stage? Uh, no, there were, there were the two forms of jazz. There was the hot jazz, and then there was cool jazz. Right. You know, the, the uh, or modern jazz we'd call it now. Right. Or bebop. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so that was one type, uh, and uh, the, we we played the old 1930s music. Right. And you're a drummer. I was a drummer. Right. Yes. Cool. Pretty essential for that style of jazz Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Yes. So we will play a song now from the Tin Pan Alley Darts Team Jazz Band, alongside the Fleet Street Band. This is a song of theirs called Big Nose Kate. It was a song that Colin Purbrook worked on as well. I say, there she goes again. Yeah, Daddy, we nearly got her that time. We call her Big Nose Kate, we're down in Old Fleet Street. She's nearly six foot eight and she's got great big feet. That's Big Nose Kate, the girl with the nose for news. Paper men, she loves the boys who write the latest news each day. But trying as we might, we can't keep that girl away. Our big nose Kate, the girl with the yen for newspaper men. She nabbed Gerald from the Herald, shared him in her net. Yeah, but he got away, lucky guy. Meandered to the standard, found him how to get so she played him at the mirror. And also at the sketch, we call her big nose Kate. She's on the Fleet Street Trail. It's her express wish to find her daily mail. That's Big Nose Kate, the girl with the nose for newspaper men, yeah. Six foot eight and she's great big feet That's Big Nose Kate The girl with the nose for newspaper men She loves the boys who write the latest news each day But trying as we might, we can't keep that girl away The Big Nose Kate The girl with the yen for newspaper men She nabbed Gerald from the Herald Snared him in her net, but he got away Lucky wretch, she meandered to the standard, found him how to get, so she plagued him at the mirror, and also at the sketch. We call her Big Nose Kate, she's on the Fleet Street Trail. It's her express wish to find her daily mail. That's Big Nose Kate, the girl with the nose for newspaper men. Yeah, when she's on the warpath, the boys all telegraph at least a dozen times a day. But the guardians of the press, they just can't keep that girl away. We thought the melody might make her. Oh, I say, there she goes again. 
Yeah, Daddy, we nearly got her that time. So that was the Fleet Street Band, and that was a song called Big Nose Kate. We're back here with Michael Knipe, and um, we're going to talk briefly about him uh, becoming a foreign correspondent. Now, how, how did it all start? Uh, well, I uh, joined the Times as a reporter, and I uh, was a member of a team of, of reporters there who would dig big stories or big international events. And uh, I suggested we did um, a, a series of articles about the liberation wars by blacks trying to overthrow the imperial um, uh, white regimes in, still in southern Africa. Fascinating. So this would have been Ethiopia, um, uh, Rod- 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 Rhodesia, Rhodesia, basically, and uh, Mozambique and, and Angola were the main main ones at wow. that time. And uh, um, then after that, uh, there was the Russian, uh, the uh, Soviet Union invasion of Czechoslovakia because they were becoming less communistic under uh, under uh, uh, their leader. And uh, uh, so I was there and covered that, that period um, of the Russian invasion of Czechoslovakia. And then they appointed me New York correspondent. So right. I was based so in did New you York. live in all these different places? Did yes. you live in um, Angola, or did you lived in South li- Africa? I lived, I lived in Cape Town, in, and I travelled to Angola. And you, but that was later. I mean, this first trip, I, I went to uh, to um, I got locked up in jail in, in Dar es Salaam because they thought I was a spy of some sort. Wow, <laughs> I could imagine the lifestyle would have been quite like being a, being like a spy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> fascinating. Um, so where was your first position? First foreign posting was New York. New York. Why yes. did you, there's no fighting in New York? What, what did you go to New I, York for? I was covering whatever was going on in America, basically. We had an office in Washington which covered the politics, and I covered whatever it was. And in those days, there were a lot of race riots and, uh, and violence and that sort of thing. Who was president at the time? Uh, it was Richard Nixon. Nixon was the ah, right. Yes. Uh, so there would have been quite a lot to report on uh, yes. Richard Nixon as well. Yes. Amazing. So how long were you in New York for? I was in New York for three years. Okay, and was there some um, jazz escapades while you were there as well? Yes, I quickly found a jazz band that I could play with, and it was in Greenwich Village, and uh, it was um, the uh, Grove Street Stompers who played in Arthur's Tavern in uh, Greenwich Greenwich Right, fascinating. Um, which yes. is still a very trendy neighbourhood. Yes, very much. So. Is Arthur's Tavern still there, do you think? Oddly enough, it is still there. It closed months ago. Right. Oh, wow. Isn't that sad? Very um, sad. Such is the way of New York yes. clubs. Um, <laughs> very sad. Great. But while I was there, um, I... Um, should we which 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 one? Yeah, please. Um, so uh, while you were there, you, you started a band, um, and um, well, I was playing in this band, this band. And okay. uh, one night, who should walk in but the man who had been the drummer with uh, Joe King Oliver's band? That was one of the first Dixieland jazz bands in the 1920s and 30s, and it was the band which Louis Armstrong first played with. Amazing. So he As was the protege of, of King Oliver. Uh, wow. And and the drummer in the band came into our bar and sang with with our band. And uh, one of my journalistic colleagues was there, 
and uh, the next day he bought me a record of Joe Joe Oliver with um, with the with his name on it. Yes, his name was Freddie Moore. Is this the record that you're holding here? Yes, it is. I'm handing. And it was it was the drummer which highlighted his name, Freddie Moore, on the yes. on the amazing. Nin- 1929, he was playing with. <laughs> wow. And yeah. he, what did, was he the drummer in your band? Because you're a drummer. No, he 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 sang. He sang. Yeah. He's, he's How was the drummer's voice? Oh, wonderful. Was he it? Was a good Dixieland. Dixieland singer, isn't that amazing? To have that connection was fantastic. Okay, so and uh, he just played with you sometimes just for a a, a bit of a crust. Yes, but then also at that that time, yeah, uh, while Bill Davison, who was the leading, one of the leading trumpet players of his day for Dixieland, he lived around the corner, and when he wasn't travelling around the country playing, uh, to keep his lip in, all trumpeters have to do that, otherwise they. Get soft. Uh, he would play with us, so he would come in virtually every week wow. and, and play with our band. So it, was so it keeps great... their mouth warm of sorts, like it keeps the, yeah. so their mouth doesn't fall out of shape. That's right. Amazing. Yes. So the, the, the trumpeter from Wild Bill Davis came and sung it, with he, you as well? He was, yes. The, um, the famous Wild Bill Davis and trumpeter. Amazing. Yes. And how old were you at this stage? I was in my 30s. In your 30s? 30s. Okay, yes. great. Living in New York yes. with, um, in a jazz band filled with famous musicians. Yes. That is, that is really cool. Okay, let's have a song now from Joe, uh, Joe King Oliver. Uh, this song's called Rhythm Club Stomp, and then we'll have a song from Wild Bill Davis, a track called Musket Rumble.
great. So that there was a song from Wild Bill Davison, and you could hear him on the trumpet just um, just going wild. It's beautiful to hear. Mm-hmm. Now uh, we've got a story about um, a meeting with uh, the mighty Louis Armstrong. Yes. Um, what's uh, what what happened here? Well, uh, there was a Newport Jazz Festival uh, up sort of north of New York. Um, it was one in which we had Frank Sinatra and Big Crosby in the film uh, of that. I can't quite know. I remember the name. I'll get right. it for you. But anyway, I went to the one. It was an annual event, great jazz event at Newport Jazz Festival. And on this particular occasion, they were paying tribute to Louis Armstrong, uh, who had stopped playing by this time, but he still sang. And they had all the top trumpet players, Dizzy Gillespie, Miles Davis, all the others. And they all played with Louis in, in honour of him and it was just a wonderful occasion to go to it and all the musicians would be playing all day and then at night there would be parties and the musicians would still keep playing and it would, it would stay till three o'clock in the morning it was just wonderful experience. Amazing. Anyway, um, shortly after that Louis was going to be going to London for a co- concert or, and um, uh, I arranged with his agent to meet him at the airport before he left and I had a very brief interview with him. He was rushing to catch his plane and uh, it was a lov- lovely opportunity to say hello to him really. And what was he like? He was a lovely man, lovely really? man. Yes. Gentle? Very gentle. Great. Yes. Uh, I mean his, his, his music, I could imagine him being just like the way his music sounds. Yes, that's terrific. That's great. So the record I'd like to play of his, is, is that you to play, is, um, is West End Blues. Uh, which he made in 1928. Okay, um, this is different before from... Before I was born. He but, re-recorded uh, it with Billy Holiday, is that right? He did many times, it, but the, the one to hear is the one in 1928, when he was at his absolute peak. Great, let's hear that one now. Yes.
So that song that we just heard was Louis Armstrong, uh, a track called West End Blues, and the film which we mentioned earlier was a film called High Society and uh, featured um, alongside Frank Sinatra, Grace Kelly and Bing uh, Crosby, and the soundtrack was actually put mostly together by Louis Armstrong, who was featured singing and, uh, and playing the trumpet, obviously. So... Um, let's, um, let's talk to Michael now a little bit more about his time as a foreign correspondent. Um, and I mean, there's some amazing stories here, which are, which are, which are pretty exciting. Um, so after you had three more years in New York, uh, where, did you get, where did you go to after that? The Times asked me to be the Africa correspondent, and, uh, I, and they said, you'll be based in New York. You'll be, I'll be based in Cape Town, I mean. Right. And uh, uh, various people said to me, why are you not living in Johannesburg? And I explained that it was my predecessor had decided to live in Cape Town, and I did. And um, we all agreed, all of us who lived there, that it was one of the most beautiful cities you could live in. The only problem was that it was in the years of the apartheid, where uh, the blacks were very much um, under the cosh from the, the government. But nevertheless, it was a fine city, and it's a lot better now that the apartheid has been banished. So you were based from South Africa um, and in Cape Town, and from there you went out and... Uh, in, around Africa, and I covered the overthrow of Haile Selassie in uh, Ethiopia. And did you actually go to the country when, oh, it was, yes. when it was in wartime? Yes, I did. When, was that when, dangerous? Slightly, but... Yes, it was sometimes. Right. I, I, um, I once spent four days in jail in, in Tanzania because they thought I was a spy. <laughs> wow. So, tell me what happened there. Well, I was reporting on the liberation wars that the blacks were fighting in Mozambique and Angola and in South Africa and in um, Rhodesia. Which was later to be Zimbabwe. Yes. Yeah. Before it became Zimbabwe. And what, what, how did you say so you were in Tanzania? I was in Tanzania talking to the Frelimo. The, I was going to see the head of Frelimo because he had his base there from where they would go into to Mozambique. And uh, while I was there, which was my first time in Africa, I'd been there about three days. And uh, after the interview, I walked down the road and I saw a factory where we were interested to know who was funding this, whether it was the Russians or the, uh, the Chinese. And uh, I found a, uh, I took a photograph of a factory that was being run by the Chinese there. And a few minutes later I was picked up by a police car and told to get in and, uh, and put in jail for three or four days because they thought I was a spy of some sort because I'd taken a photograph. <laughs> wow. Anyway. And uh, how, how did you get out? I was just very lucky that they, they eventually decided to let me go, so I did. Amazing. And I had an interview a few days later with the President Nereri of, the, of, uh, of Tanzania. Well, surely the President could have had a few words and got... <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's um, that's yes. fascinating. But so, anyway, while I was there, I was there when the Emperor of Ethiopia was overthrown. That was an exciting time to be there. And then also when Idi Amin was uh, in charge in Uganda and he decided to expel all the Asians. And at that time, I went there for that period. He said he's going to have rid of them for three months. And when I arrived, I found that all the Asians were driving cars and everybody on foot was an African. 
uh, and over the next three months by every means possible, including locking people up, uh, he expelled all the Asians. Wow. And, uh, That's a similar story to uh, Rhodesia as well. Yes, uh, yes, but at a later stage, uh, which was uh, Mugabe was the, um, the, yes. the leader of. Yes. And you were saying the other day when I mentioned him, you, you, you said that you met... Uh, I did. I met him when, he first, when they first released him from jail uh, he, and various other ones. And in fact, when I went to, do the, uh, to talk to them about what it had been like in jail, um, it was very ob- obvious that he wasn't at that time officially known as the leader, as the uh, ZANU. But um, he became it, and uh, uh, I had some interesting conversations with him. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And um, you met him at the nearby village, but um, you're travelling with a reporter from the New York Times, is that right? Uh, there was a new reporter, uh, and he, he said, this isn't a South Africa, there isn't a party officially, why don't you people, we, don't, we come to your your township outside of Salisbury, why don't you come into Salisbury and see one of the big hotels? Meet us at the restaurants. Yeah. So you had a, 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 a gaggle of, um, of uh, quite dark-skinned people in the hotel with you? Yes. And nobody knew who they no, were? and didn't take any notice of them, except the waiters, who did know who they were, and their hands were shaking as they put the cups and down. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's quite amazing. That's, that's, that's fascinating. Yes. So from, um, from Africa, um, you went to, went to where? Uh, well, I was there for seeing the, the Asians being expelled, and uh, at that time there was an invasion from Tanzania, and uh, at some stage they tried to dock up all the British correspondents that were there, and I fortunately uh, was playing the drums in one of the bands as well as being a, 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 a foreign correspondent. In Cape Town? You no, know, in, in Uganda. Oh, in, right. In Kampala. Right. And uh, everybody thought that it was because I was, they liked my drumming or something that they didn't lock me up, but it wasn't quite true. I just happened to be out of town when they were rounding up all the foreign correspondents. <laughs> <laughs> so luckily I avoided that. Wow. <laughs> now, um, before we go on, there's one more story I'd love to, love to hear about, which you've told me, but it just... Um, it just amazes me. Um, when you were in Lebanon, um, you went up on a mountain to interview. Um, during, yes. this, was, this was during the time of the Civil War. That's right. And um, your life's never quite been the same. What's what? What happened? What happened there? Well, I was interviewing one of the candidates to be president. His father had also been president, and he, I met him up in the hills, uh, where we were at one of those uh, places where there's. Uh, tables just outside in the grounds and that right. sort of thing. And he arrived with his bodyguards and we sat down to talk and the bodyguards were standing around us and while I was talking to him they reckoned that on the hill, hill opposite that there were, there were his enemies and they were firing at us so they fired back and they were standing right behind my ear. Well they, they fired a gun? They fired guns yes. Right. Was it, was, it a, was it a gun? Was it a rocket sort of a rocket sort of gun? No, no just, it was just a normal very, gun. No, but there, they, there his, I did later hear that he got special billets of bullets or something. But anyway, whatever it was, it affected my hearing. I couldn't hear suddenly. I was feeling a bit deaf, and uh, and the president said, uh, "Don't worry, it'll clear up in an hour. Come back to my house and have some afternoon tea," which I did. And uh, uh, we had tea, and it was still there, 
And he said, when you, get, when you get back to Beirut, it will have cleared up. And when I got back to Beirut, uh, they said, oh, when, it, when you get back to London, it will have gone. And at that time, I was the diplomatic correspondent, and I would go every day to the foreign office for a briefing by the government, and the, um, and the diplomats there all spoke with hardly moving their lips, and I couldn't have word anybody was saying. So I had to go to a specialist and find some, whatever it was when my hearing was wrong, I needed ear, 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 hearing aids. Wow. And uh, from then onwards I had my hearing aids, so I've got that memory of Lebanon because of it. Right, <laughs> fascinating. Well, there you go. Okay, we're going to um, play a song now uh, which is Singing the Blues, and um, this, uh, who's, who's this singer? This is, um, this is not the singer, it's the players, uh, Bix Beiderberg was the equivalent, he was among the white musicians playing Dixieland jazz in the 1920s and 30s. Uh, he was the equivalent of Louis Armstrong, the nearest, who was anyway uh, comparable. And he's just a wonderful trumpet player and he had a wonderful trombone player called, um, he was called Bix and the trombone was called um, Tram. So, right, excellent. That. And this, the song was recorded in 1928. Yes. Here we go. Thank you. 
great. So that there was the song from Bix Beiderbeck, a uh, track called Sing in the Blues. Now, um, we're just going to jump back in time. Uh, we jump back in time to New York? Yes, we do, because uh, um, I, when I was setting off for, for Africa, I had one last night in New York. I had my, I'd lived there for three years. My parents were visiting, and uh, with together with the band, the Grove Street Stompers, uh, we decided to go to, on on Christmas Eve it was to see the Duke Ellington Orchestra playing at a ballroom at the top of a high high rise skyscraper and uh, with the band and my parents and my girlfriend we sat at a table in the ballroom and the Ellington band was playing and at the next table there was a black woman with with uh, ginger hair and uh, elderly lady and we didn't realise it, but she was in fact Duke Ellington's sister, and she was the band manager. And as the evening went on, the various musicians would come over and sit at the table, and by the end of the evening, we'd all become one table. I'd met all the musicians in the band. And at that stage, Ellington himself came over, and I said, Mr. Ellington, I've got it to say, after three years in New York, I'm going off to Africa, I'm a journalist, as a foreign correspondent in Africa, and it's been a fantastic evening to have see your band. And he said, where are you going to be? Where are you going to be in Africa? I said, I'm going to be in Cape Town. And he said, oh, one of my musicians. You must meet him. He's a South Africa. And it was one of the white musicians in the band, the bass player, the only white musician in the band, in fact. And uh, he came over and he said, where are you going to be based in, in South Africa? I said, uh, uh, Cape Town. Oh, he said, oh, you've got to meet my mum. She runs a cafe in Cape Town and she'd be delighted to meet you. So that was a lovely introduction to my trip. And at the moment, my girlfriend said, Mr. Ellington, can I, can I ask a favour of you? Would you dance with me? And he said, of course I will, my dear. So the band started playing and they danced around the room and I thought that was a wonderful... Your girlfriend and Duke Ellington? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Did you feel threatened or was it, it was just, just a just No, dancing? it was just wonderful. Oh, know, excellent. What a claim to fame. Yes. Excellent. What a great way to end, it, end your time in New York Absolutely, as well. Absolutely, yes. Cool. So we've got a song now from Duke Ellington. The song is called Take the A Train. Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank Such you a pleasure. And lovely to have memories. <laughs> yeah, very interesting stories. Thanks very much. Cool, cheers.
as an added bonus, I managed to capture a couple of live recordings from Michael's current band. Here he is playing live in Camden Square.
for a package of sunshine flowers. If you want the things you
Fleet FM. Fleet FM. Fleet FM.